everyone. Thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, today we have a very, and I say that all the time, but today it's a very special guest. I am on the phone right now with Jeff Goins. He is an author of five books, including the national bestseller, The Art of Work. His website, Goings Writer, has been visited more than four million times by people all over the planet. He's a keynote speaker who believes that great ideas change the world. Jeff, it is an honor and a privilege to to have you on the call today. Thanks for having me, Avery. Great to be here. So listen, my wife sort of introduced me to you. Uh, she was a part of the first Tribe Writers session. And since then, ah, cool. we, it was it was a cool experience. I watched her sort of go through this uh, thing yeah. and, and she, she she loved it. She's, she's a writer herself, finishing up the final edits of, of her book. So um, everything that you've taught has really been kind of become a part of our language um, when I'm encouraging her. Uh, since then, uh, we've both gone on to read The In-Between. We've read The Art of Work. Oh, cool. and, and now your latest book, Real Artists Don't Starve. And that's kind of what I want to talk with you about yeah. on the call. It's a fantastic book. It's a, just a, a very solid uh, and powerful read. And so I just want to dive into it. Now, sure, here's, let's do it. So here's the deal. I, 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 read a, I read a lot of books. I love reading. And with any good book, any good leadership book specifically, there's one or two ideas that kind of challenge you. You know, three if it's a good mm-hmm. book. Uh, right. But in, in Real Artists Don't Starve, I feel like you don't go after one or two things. I feel like you k- kind of go after them all. You know, you kind of <laughs> you, you turn over all the sacred cows of creativity yeah. and success and all the way from charging what you're worth to uh, collaborating mm-hmm. to owning your masters. You know, you, you come right after these long-held standards. So what I wanted to sort of put at you is this, as creators, as leaders, why is this so important right now? Like, why is it so important to break down these false ideas of creativity and success? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think uh, now uh, more than ever, being creative is something really important to us as a culture. You know, the idea of creativity as a, um, uh, focus of academic study is new, you know, um, uh, it's really only been a field of study in psychology for about the past 50, maybe, you know, 70 years, uh, before that it really wasn't considered a legitimate thing to look at. And, and as we can all see over the past 10, 15 years, lots of Ted talks and best-selling books around this idea of creativity. We all want to be more creative. Nobody says, I wish I were less creative. Whereas right. uh, when, when I was growing up, that, that wasn't necessarily a cool thing, right? It was uh, something that kind of made you an outcast. So being creative, being an artist, is something we all aspire to uh, do more of as a culture, and especially in our work today, whether you uh, work for a big company or you work in ministry or nonprofit sector, um, we all want to be more creative, do more creative work. But here's the thing. We still have these big misconceptions about how creative work works. And yeah. so if there's one idea that I really try to go after in the book, it, it is this idea of the starving artist, which I think is a myth today. Uh, what I say in the book is that um, with all of the uh, opportunities and technology that exists to get your creative work out into the world, whatever that looks like to you, could be business, could be painting, could be you know uh, your blog, whatever it is, 
um, uh, the, the opportunity has never been greater to do creative work. So, uh, that must mean that being a starting artist is not a necessary condition of doing creative work anymore. It's a choice. And, right. and then I try to make, make that argument throughout the book. Uh, I do think you can charge what you're worth. Uh, I do think you can do really great work without selling out. Uh, and I do think, uh, artists and writers and musicians and creatives of all types can and should be, uh, making a living off of their work. And it's, um, the best time, literally the best time to be a creative person. And I want us to recognize that not just, Oh, I want to be more creative, uh, you know, as sort of an add on something ancillary to everything else that I do. Yeah. If you want to do creative work for a living, if you want to be an artist, uh, this idea that you're going to starve, that's just not true. And that was a, a fight that I was glad to pick because for so long, uh, I, I have heard, uh, people in my life and, and even, you know, my friends who are very creative and, um, you know, brilliant people. I've heard them say, I could never do that because, uh, you know, real artists, you know, don't make any money. It's just somebody on Facebook told me, Oh, most artists don't make a, a living off of their work. I said, how do you know this? Right. Like, where is the study? Where are the statistics? We don't have any numbers. It's just this story that we've been told. And that's why I call it a myth. Not that it's never true, but, you know, there are myths that we believe. Yeah. And because we believe them, whether they're true or not, if, if we believe the story, it becomes true. And this is one myth, the story of the starving artist that I think needs to die. That's so good. Because everything that you go after, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I've kind of heard that. It's like, oh, wait, I believe right. that. I believe that. I believe that if you are an artist, you know, hey, man, just do this thing for me for free. I'll, I'll put it up in my gallery. Hey, if you can do but yeah. I won't pay you for it, but I'll just I'll just put it out. There was an uh, an article that came out a while ago, Huffington Post. You know, if you want me to write if, if the Huffington Post wants you, then you you do it freelance. And uh, uh-huh. one of the lines you put is, you know, exposure doesn't put food on the table. And so right. it is, it, it's mm-hmm. you come straight after some of these myths. So in the book, you had some some earth shaking moments for me. Um, there okay. were moments yep. where mm-hmm. I would just read and I would close the book and say, wait a minute. No one's ever said that. I've never heard that quite put like that. And one of those was early on chapter two and stop trying to be original. You wrote creativity is not about being original. It's about learning to rearrange what's already been in a way that brings fresh insight to old material. That is a huge statement. And I would love for you to just kind of unpack that for us a little bit. That's a, that's a bomb to drop on how you think about creativity. I'd love for you to spend some time just sort of peeling that back. You know, when I was was writing this book, Avery, I read hundreds of biographies from artists, creative entrepreneurs, um, creative people of all types and all kinds of, uh, you know, in all backgrounds and all eras, uh, from the Renaissance up to modern day. And I tried to look for themes. Um, what are things that have always been true about artists? And, um, one of the things that's always been true about creative people is that they did their best work, not in solitude, uh, but typically in some kind of community. And, and often that work began uh, by the artist feeling 
from their uh, heroes, from their their um, the masters that came before them. You know, the people that influenced them. And when I say stealing, I'm not talking about anything illegal or underhanded. I'm talking about the good kind of stealing uh, that you know Austin Kleon talks about in his book, a Steal Like an Artist. Right. And it's this idea that if you steal uh, from somebody else, you steal from one other person, then you're a thief. But if you steal from lots of people, and I'm talking about ideas and styles and techniques, then you're an artist. And mm-hmm. so what I found, uh, you know, looking at people like Jim Henson, uh, who revolutionized and, and kind of created the whole, uh, you know, idea of a televised puppet show. This didn't really exist before, you know, using puppets uh, on TV and, um, you know, on, on the movie screen eventually. Uh, he kind of created that out of nothing and, and had a lot of uh, seemingly original work, except that he didn't and that he kind of <laughs> right. borrowed a lot of his ideas from other people. Now, what did Jim do that had never been done before? Well, he combined comedy with puppet, deadpan comedy, with puppetry, with you know wh- a whimsical feel that somehow uh, uh, appealed to both the humor of children and also the sophistication of adults. And when he combined all these different things, simply by copying uh, comics and artists and comedians that had come before him and putting all these things together, he created something that we call original. But he didn't do it by sitting in a room just dreaming it up and going, oh, I'm going to make something that's never existed before. He did it the same way we all do it, which is going, I'm going to borrow that, and I'm going to borrow that, and I'm going to borrow that, and I'm going to put it all together. And when you do that and you do it well, uh, it's – it's creative. And, uh, and so it, it is true that all great artists steal. They borrow from so many different sources and they put them together uh, in ways where a lot of times you, don't, you can't see, you know, all the connections. And that's kind of the, the, the beauty of the art. Um, but every artist does this. Every great, pre, uh, you know, creative uh, does this in one form or another. And that was I mean, even when you when you describe that in the book, I remember writing in the margin, this makes creativity so much more attainable. I don't have yeah. to come up right. with this new thing that's never existed right. ever in, in the span of life. I simply need to say what's out there that I can put a fresh insight on and 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 progress it and move it forward. That was a that was a tremendous uh point. I really, really, really like that. Yeah. Cool. One of the uh, things you just mentioned was the Jim Henson story. And I thought that was a great, a great story Uh, for it. What what shocked me is as I continue to read the book was your range of characters. I've never read a book that pulled in Jim Henson, Stephen Kellogg (laughs) and Dr. Dre. I've, I've never had the three of them combined into into one book. I assume that you've done right. just countless hours and books of, of research. And mm. I wanted to just see, you know, there's, there's, there's Dr. Dre, there's Suge Knight, there's Jim Henson. There's all these, there's all these uh, names. Yeah. And then Michelangelo's story is woven throughout the book. Uh, right. mm-hmm. Of the people that you researched, who would you say, they nailed it. They nailed that connection between creative and successful. They broke the mold. They did their own thing. And, and that person probably speaks to people more today 
than, than, than any other. Who would you say is the one that you think really nailed it before their time? Yeah. Um, that's a tough question. And, and as you mentioned, there's, I don't know, you know, dozens of stories, 50, yeah. maybe a hundred of stories in there. Um, and there's stories that I cut just cause you know, like you got to stop the book at some point. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I sort of book and the book with two of my favorite stories. There's Michelangelo, whom you mentioned, who is uh, one of the most successful artists who's, who had ever lived. And I was surprised to find out that he was a multimillionaire yeah. and, an entre- and an entrepreneur for the last 40 years of his life, uh, managing a staff of literally hundreds of people. Uh, and so he's kind of the archetype, as you mentioned, he, his story is woven throughout the book uh, because if there's an artist who has ever existed that created unparalleled, amazing, brilliant, beautiful art, it was him. And he didn't sell out, you know, never was it like kitschy or bad or anything other than brilliant. And at the same time, he was the richest artist of his time. Mm. So keep in mind, he was the best artist, arguably the best artist in the Renaissance and the richest one. And in fact, according to many researchers, he was not only the richest artist of the Renaissance at that point, you know, in the 1500s, he was the richest artist who had ever lived. He literally broke the mold. And so I, I use him as a sort of the archetype because he set the stage for what's possible today. But that was 500 years ago. And uh, we have forgotten that story since then. And we've been believing the myth of the starving artist ever since. And so my second uh, favorite story is at the end of the book in the last chapter, which is called, um, uh, make money to make art. We don't make art to make money. As um, uh, Walt Disney once said, uh, we make money to make more art or more films. And I have the pleasure of uh, meeting and interviewing the fourth man to walk on the moon, Alan Bean. So as a second moon mission, um, and uh, he walked on the moon. An incredible, <laughs> you know, feat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you could sort of, you know, you could sort of hang up your hat after that and go, okay, I'm done. But right. Alan didn't do, Alan didn't do that. At 50 years old, roughly, he decided to become a full-time artist. And, uh, he is now, he's in his eighties, I think, uh, he is, has been a full-time artist or painter for the past, you know, 40 or so years of his life, 30 years of his life. And, um, he is the only living person who can paint the moon who has seen it, Mm. uh, you know, from firsthand experience. Yeah. And, uh, Alan Bean's paintings go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Because, because this is very interesting. When you go to the moon, when you walk on the moon, you get to keep your suit, you get to keep your tools, you get to keep all that stuff. And, um, and so when he started painting, he knew he wasn't the best painter in the world. Um, he's a good painter, but you know, he was like, how am I gonna, how, how am I gonna do this? You know, how am I gonna compete with all these other people? And he realized he had something that no other living painter had. Uh, he had moon dust, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, he had, he had moon dust on his astronaut suit. And so every painting that Alan Bean paints, he takes a little bit of moon dust and sprinkles it, uh, on, um, you know, with the paint. And so when you buy an Alan Bean painting for 50 or a hundred or $200,000, uh, you get a, you get to buy a piece of the moon. You get a little bit of the moon. (laughs) 
Wow. So, like, can, can we replicate that? Of course not. Uh, <laughs> but there's a couple of things I think are fascinating about Alan Bean's story. One is he used what he had. Yep. He used what he had. And when he paints uh, a picture of the moon, and he's done hundreds of them, he uses moon dust, like I said. He also takes um, the tools that he that, that you use on, on um, a moon landing mission, shovels and things, and he uses it to rough up the canvas that he's painting on to create texture, mm, gotcha. uh, which is a, a technique that a lot of artists use. But he's using the actual tools right. that he used on the moon, and he's using it on the thing to kind of recreate that scene. When I talked to Alan... Uh, I said, you know, you quit being an astronaut to go, you know, be an artist, you know, to pursue your passion of art. He interrupted me and he said, now, hang on a second, Jeff. You keep saying this was my passion. You keep talking about art as if it was a whim, something that I did because I was passionate about doing it. Uh, I was like, well, yeah. (laughs) And he said, (laughs) yeah, he goes, that's not why I did it. He said it the way I see it. You know, I, I, I was a Navy man, then I was an astronaut. The way I see it, I'm a man who's always done his duty. And when I was uh, one of the handful of people who walk on the moon and they stopped doing moon missions and, and um, uh, you know, I looked around at NASA and I realized anybody can do what I do. Anybody can, you know, fly the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he looked around at all these young people at NASA who were doing his job uh, just as well as he was doing it. He said, but nobody can paint the moon who's seen it like I can. He said, and at that point, I realized this was not a whim. This was not a passion. This was my duty. And I had a duty to share this art with the world uh, because it's one thing to take a picture of something. It's another thing to recreate the way it felt to see this thing firsthand. And he said, I, I thought it would be a shame if this momentous occasion in human history that had never happened before uh, and, and, you know, it is not happening now, you know, like we're not sending people to the moon anymore because it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, uh, he goes, so he was like, I, I might be the only person who can capture this. And, and I had to consider what was at stake if I didn't do this. He considered it his duty, his calling. And, and that was a favorite story of mine because I think for all of us, the art that we have to share, and I think art is just your creative gift. It can be speaking, it can be writing, it can be connecting people to ideas, it can be whatever you want it to be, but it needs to be more than a passion. You need to consider that this is my duty. And so when I say real artists don't starve, I'm not trying to shame anyone. I'm trying to compel you to think so seriously about your creative gifts that you consider them a duty. You have to put this out in the world. You have to make a living, even if it's just to make money so that you can make more art. It's not about everybody going and being rich. It's about doing our duty as artists, uh, taking uh, something that has never been and, and creating it, bringing it into being and sharing it with the world because all of us will be better for it. And, and so I, I love that idea that art is, is a duty. It's more than a passion. It's something that you can't not do. Yeah. That is literally one of my favorite stories in the book used exactly what he had in front of him. And it, and it, it even when you were telling the story in the book, it never felt like a shift it felt like just a different expression 
of what he was already doing, whether he was exploring right. on the moon right. or exploring this this gift that he had. It never felt like something different. I feel like what we're called to do, mm-hmm. this this art inside of us, it's not just a, sw- a shift in gears. It's giving it a voice. It's giving it a canvas. Right. Yeah. And, and in many cases, for a lot of the people I talked to, and certainly for myself, it was, you know, you made a decision at some point to pursue your art, you know, this thing inside of you. But it was always kind of there. And as you said, uh, you just you just had to make this choice to go, okay, this is in me. And now I have to decide, am I going to die with the music still inside of me, as they say? Or am I going to give it an expression? Am I going to share it with the world? Which is a scary thing. And I, I do consider it a calling. I think it's something that we have to do. And if we if we don't do it, you know, we certainly have that choice, but uh, we're missing something. You know, we're, we're not whole people. We're walking through life um, with, some, with, with our best work still inside of us. And, and that's my biggest fear is I don't want to die with my best work inside of me because I was afraid to share it because I thought I couldn't do it or I might starve or a teacher at some point told me that wasn't a real career. Like that just doesn't, that just doesn't fly. You know, this is your duty and this is something that's probably inside you already. It's just a question of, are are you willing to let it out? That's good. And this is why I love this book. (laughs) Jeff, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Thank for, you for spending time with this. This was this was excellent. Um, Real artists don't starve. Comes out in uh, early July. Comes out I think that first week in July. You can buy it. You know, as they say, where where all great books are sold. I would encourage you guys to <laughs> go and check out Jeff's website, um, his website, the link to the book. All that will be in the show notes. Um, Jeff, this has been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for um, having time and, and stopping by the podcast. Thanks for having me, Avery. It's my pleasure. No problem. So for everyone that was listening, hopefully something that uh, Jeff has said helps you as you're leading his leaders. Mm-hmm.